Hello, and welcome to What We Brought Home with your hosts, Mike Izzo and Pat McGinty. We invite military veterans to anonymously share their stories of war and service, specifically the stories that they hide from the world. The stories featured on this podcast often include sensitive topics like death and violence that might be triggering for some. At times, you might even hear us or our guests laugh at situations that are actually quite serious. Like other jobs that involve life or death situations, grim and ironic humor is often a way to cope. Listener discretion is advised. Also at times, you may notice breaks in the audio. We take anonymity very seriously and we edit stories to protect the identities of the storyteller and others involved. Finally, if what you hear in this episode reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to share your story, let us know. If it's something from your time in service that you often think about, but rarely talk about, you're not alone. We're here to listen with no judgment. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. Hello there again. Uh, This is Mike Izzo, and I'm here with my co-host, Pat McGinty, on What We Brought Home. Um, this episode is going to be a little different than our traditional episode. You know, this, this started with Pat and myself having stories of our own. And so just to even get this going, we recorded each other telling the other person a story that we had never told someone else. And, and with those stories, we made them demo episodes and we started sharing them with other veterans. And, and that's how we, uh, kind of uh, showed people what we had in mind uh, for this podcast, and, uh, and and we were able to you know inspire other veterans to tell their stories. So, so we're going to share one of our stories today. Obviously, we're not anonymous. You know who we are. Uh, this is you know unique. Every other guest who comes on is anonymous. So, uh, so this is a slightly different experience for everyone. Uh, but you know. Pat and I feel, you know, we've talked about this at length. We feel comfortable and confident uh, in sharing these stories. And we, you know, we, we believe they will resonate with other people, with other veterans. And we hope that sharing these stories will help others not feel alone in, in their experiences, if they've had similar experiences. And, and hopefully we'll inspire them and let them know it's okay that they can share their stories and, and ideally, you know, lift some weight off of them. So, as usual, I will stop and I will let Pat tell his story. So Pat, thanks for, for doing this. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, so I'm going to dive right in. My story isn't the most intense combat activity like some of the others we've had podcasts, but this is something that uh, really stuck with me for the past What's it been now? 16 years or so. I was in um, I was in Iraq in uh, mid 2000s uh, in a a rather rural area south of uh, Baghdad, and that area at the time was um, was 
pretty chaotic. There was a lot of um, sectarian fighting occurring between tribes. There was a lot of um, foreign fighters infiltrating into Iraq at that time. And it was sort of the testing grounds for all of the IED activity uh, or improvised explosion devices. So sort of different types of ways to blow up our vehicles and patrols. For the first couple of months of our deployment, we were in a a different area that was relatively uh, calm and, uh, and pretty safe. And then we were we were sent down to this this area that I just described after a couple of months and shit sort of hit the fan right away. Um, we we had a lot of um, IED attacks on our patrols, and uh, shortly after getting there, we lost one of our uh, first um, soldiers killed in action, and uh, he, he was. Personally, I, I was close to this individual because he was one of my first squad leaders when I arrived at the unit. Um, and then just uh, amongst the company, he was uh, he was a really, really beloved NCO. Um, and it, it really hit everyone hard. In addition to that, there was uh, a lot of pressure from from the top to try and figure out this IED problem. Um, and, and I think this led to a, a lot of frustration because it seemed like we were, we were doing patrols to find IEDs so that we wouldn't get hit by IEDs while we were doing patrols. It was just like, <laughs> you, you know, it's like this, the circular logic that didn't make any sense to the soldiers and I think it led to, uh, well, one, it, it led to frustration and anger and stress. And two, it led to um, to maybe some of the not, or some some tactics and, and ways of doing things that were maybe not the, um, not the by the book way of, of handling the situation. Clearing. Uh, a certain area of our sector from from IEDs and trying to collect intelligence on the individuals who are uh, in placing these IEDs. So we were out at our uh, local p- patrol base, which was basically just a an Iraqi house that we had taken over uh, and was was manned with a platoon of soldiers. So somewhere around thirty five or forty soldiers. Uh, at this uh, Iraqi house, um, and I was out there uh, in charge of the situation. Uh, and we had, uh, I don't think even the full platoon, maybe half of a platoon go out on a patrol uh, up and down one of our routes. Uh, they were dismounted. They were walking on this patrol. And the the point of the mission was to to stop IED emplacement, essentially. And so as these guys are out on patrol, they sort of do cursory searches of the little villages or, or even just the little farmhouses uh, along the, the route. The area was mostly local, poor 
farming and agricultural families that basically lived in one or two room houses. And so they would just go through and do these little searches just to make sure everything looked kosher with the individuals along the routes. And so the, the, the squad uh, was doing their usual patrol and they, they went into a house and they went into the, the little shed out back and they found some wire in the shed. And the conclusion that was made on the ground was that this wire could possibly be used to, uh, to put in IEDs along the road. Uh, so they, uh, squad leader made the decision to detain the the head of the house, the man of the house, and to bring him back to our patrol base uh, for questioning or, or to try and gather more information. And so, so I agreed to this uh, as the person on the ground that was in charge. And this individual was uh, was detained in front of his family and was brought back to our patrol base and was uh, put in a room. And, um, and I guess the, the soldiers there looked to me as the person to question this individual. What, so what stands out to me is, um, is I have no formal training in interrogation As a unit, we don't know really anything about evidence gathering, you know, what this wire really meant. But why this moment stuck with me or has stuck with me for so long is that at that point in time, all of this frustration of losing our our squad leader and um, being, being receiving all this pressure to do these missions that didn't really make any sense and not having an answer to how we stop these IEDs or trying to figure out when and where they're being in place. It all sort of boiled over the top and I just lost it on this person that we had detained. I was, I was screaming at him. I was menacingly, menacingly standing there. Um, holding my rifle, which I'm sure is, you know, pretty scary to see if you're the person being detained. I distinctly remember, you know, points in time where I was right up in his face, um, telling him he's never going to see his family again. Again, I didn't have any skills. I don't know if any of this stuff uh, is effective or not. I think we know now from, from reading and hearing some of the things that occurred that it's not effective, but what really bothered me about it was the fact that this uh, individual was most likely a poor farmer who had some wire in his shed because he lives in a agricultural uh, rural area. And even now, me, if you went in my basement of my home, you would find some wire sitting on the ground down there. You know? Right. And the 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 scene that sort of sticks with me is him just sitting there like shaking and sobbing uncontrollably while I was treating him as inhumanely as, as you possibly could treat someone. 
and that's that's not me i you know that's not my character i i sort of pride myself on approaching things intelligently and um and in situation I, I just sort of lost it all i think that's sort of a microcosm of my experience with uh, the entire deployment is like how can you how can we treat other human beings like so so inhumanely and that was that was sort of the theme of the entire unit i felt like you know we we were supposed to be there to to help and to instill democracy and and create a, a country that's not led by this oppressive regime and but, but most of the time we was spent dehumanizing the entire population some other examples of that like when we you know to try and stop this ied threat we'd put up roadblocks all around the little villages and then those villages would not have any way to transport their wares or to get food or to to get people in and out of the town and like if we're there to help these people why are we essentially creating a prison around their village the the cognitive dissonance was um, frustrating me to to no end and i i don't know if there was an answer but it it's um it's something that's really weighed with me or weighed on me for for quite some time until i i had a great conversation actually just a couple of years ago with a, a trusted mentor you know we talked about how sometimes we're put in these extraordinary circumstances that we really can't control even if we think we are in control if we make a mistake we got to learn to forgive ourselves for for that uh, or it's just going to continue to weigh us down. And the conversation really, really meant a lot to me. And it um, it did help me stop to, to focus on this event because I was thinking about it. I'll just wrap up. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know who that person was. I don't know whatever happened to him. I, 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 to be honest, I can't even remember what we sort of did with him afterwards. Uh, if we sent him on for further processing or if we just released him, I, I, the memory's blank in my mind. But what I do know is that I, I'm almost 100% certain that he had no ill intent. And, and nowadays I think, you know, what if, what if I would have, like imagine if this happened at your house, right? Like you're sitting yeah. there with your, your wife and kids and a bunch of guys with guns come in and they're like, hey, I found some typical household supplies in your house and to me that means you're a bad guy yeah and now i'm going to take you away i don't speak your language i can't explain what's going on somebody's now yelling at me in another language up in my face they all have a bunch of guns i don't know what's happened to my wife and children like imagine that trauma right you know i don't know it's not something you can ever do anything about yeah uh, this story Pat, it, it has commonalities with uh, with my experience, and I'm sure with many other people. Uh, we 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 did raid, you know, we raided people's houses and <clears throat> uh, you know captured people, 
uh, you know, interrogated people. And so your story really hits home for me. And, uh, and I, you know, I wasn't personally involved in questioning anyone, but I was definitely around for it. I didn't think about things like this. Uh, I think I just kind of blocked these thoughts out. You know, I had that feeling in my stomach that like, what the hell are we doing? I, you know, I specifically remember like barging into to several families' houses and the, you know, everyone's, you know, we're yelling, women, the women in the household are screaming, the babies are crying. It's dark outside, you know, it, the whole family was like huddled in one room sleeping and we just tore their house apart and yeah. And found some like random item that was probably there for, for, for a really good reason <laughs> and, and use it as evidence to, to capture someone and, and, you know, uh, accuse them of illegal activity. And, uh, yeah, I really right. can't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't imagine the, the, yeah, what it must've been like to be on the other side of that. But I mean, it was also like the product of the situation. It wasn't like there was a front lines with a enemy that we were, we were face to face with fighting and like, it was so ambiguous. I don't think we were prepared for that. You know, like we didn't know, we didn't know what to do or how to treat those situations. Yeah. I mean, we trained a lot on like raiding a house and people were shooting at you from the house, but like right. 99.9% of the time, no one was shooting at you from the house. And then you just, so now you're just in the house <laughs> you broke down the front door. You're standing right. in the house and everyone's like, what do you want? <laughs> and, and, then right. like, and then you're going to do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent, you know, the whole years, tra- yeah, training on like conventional warfare, and then you know, then you show up and they're like, okay, be police officers, right? Be, be yeah. detectives. <laughs> you you mentioned something that I I thought was that was res- another thing that resonated with me, which was you said like that you felt a a pressure. It sounded like there was a pressure building up for you, like like leading up to that. You know, it sounded like like pressure from your chain of command to try to solve this IED problem. And, uh, but then you also mentioned it seemed like a pressure in the moment, like as you're, you are the leader of this, this group, um, you're standing in front of them, you have this detainee in front of you. And am I right? Did you feel like a pressure to almost perform for them? Yeah, I would say that that was right. I mean, I mean, I specifically remember like standing in front of my battalion commander's desk, getting berated because we kept getting hit with IEDs. And I had like no answer. I'm like, I I don't know how to fix this problem. I, mm-hmm. So then I think part of it too was, um, I mean, I don't know if I was thinking about this at the time. We were uh, 24, 25 years old, young, straight out of ranger school, like, right? We're supposed to be tough guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in charge now and I'm out at this patrol base. And so, yep. yeah, I think there was some pressure to like, if they're going to hit us with IEDs, then we're going to, we're going to mess them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was like, I definitely, I definitely had an experience with that too, where like, you know, you've got, you know, a hundred got hundred soldiers in this unit and trying to, and then you've got this nuance of people who you're looking for and, you know, try, trying to disseminate down to every single person, like the nuance of like, you know, this person's a suspect in something, or this person definitely did something bad that the differences between those two are often not fully explained, or sometimes they're wrong. 
And I think it goes back to what we were discussing already is that we spent a year getting these guys ready to go knock down doors and close with and destroy the enemy to borrow a term from infantry training, right? And then they got there and that wasn't the situation on the ground. So you mentioned a mentor who you spoke with who kind of helped you, who you talked to about this and was, he said, you said it was one of the first few people you talked to about this. Uh, do you mind telling me more about who that person is, how you know them, and maybe how they how they became such an important mentor in this situation for you? Um, I've said it in a couple other episodes here that I uh, struggled with drinking for a while after uh, getting out of the Army. And through uh, sobriety, I've met some amazing people. And... Uh, there's just one individual. He's someone that I I respect his opinion on on things like forgiveness. He's actually the only person I ever told this story to, because that was such a cathartic experience to one tell somebody else this story and get it out there, and two, and to understand that we make mistakes, not perfect you know, you can move beyond this. And to be honest, that's, that sort of started this whole thought about uh, not necessarily a podcast at the time, but that there's something powerful in telling your story. I don't know if I, I don't know if I knew that, that specific, you know, that specific interaction with that specific person uh, when we started talking about this, but uh, I'm glad to hear about it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of cool that, that that one interaction kind of brought, for you, kind of your your vision uh, to you know to our discussions about this, and, and combined with my experience, uh, having a similar experience with a uh, with my therapist, we both kind of had the same experience uh, with different yeah. people, and uh, and found it valuable, and uh, and here we are trying to, uh, to help others, hopefully have similar experiences. When did you realize that that your actions didn't feel good to you? I mean, was it like immediate and then like every day since while you're still in the army and then after you've thought about this and thought and regretted this interaction or was there, or or was there a moment like later in your life when it weren't like struck you and. Yeah, that's a good question. No, I honestly, I don't think I thought about it for a long time after it occurred. And even after I was out of the army, I think as I've gotten older, how I want to be as a human and as a person and as I went through some of that like self-exploration, it reemerged. It was years down the road before I really started thinking about it. And then I thought about it really frequently. Yeah. Up until that point where I, uh, where I talked to that individual. Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, I, I, you have kids. I, I don't have kids right now. I often, I often wonder if like, you know, in talking to other people, I know like having kids and kind of raising your kids gives you opportunities to, sometimes think about things you've done in the past and reevaluate them. That probably all plays a role. Like, I think I just reached a point in my life where I'm like, I need to sort of, I need to reassess the path I'm on here. And is this really the person I'm supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, yeah, man. You know, I mean, you and I have talked a lot on air and off air well mostly most mostly off air (laughs) you and i have talked mostly off air uh but occasionally we record our conversations and uh uh you know this one you know i'm I'm honored for you to to have shared this with me 
And, uh, you know, I, I completely understand how you could be feeling this way and the, the feelings you're, you're sharing here. Uh, you know, I, I, I felt very similar, you know, similar regrets, similar shame, uh, about my actions and my part. Uh, I don't think we're looking for like an excuse, you know, to like diminish the experience of those, you know, who, who, who we affected. Cause obviously they had a, you know, they got the, the short end of the stick in the, in these interactions and, you know, that's something we're gonna have to carry with ourselves for the rest of our lives. But, you know, it's also not productive for us to beat ourselves up every day. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's where I've sort of landed with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is know. an okay place to be. And I, I think there are a lot of veterans out there who are bearing these burdens. And I feel for them. They did what they thought was the right thing in the moments they were in. And maybe it was the right thing uh, in some situations. You know, they did what they had to do. At the same time, you know, they don't necessarily have to feel 100%. You know, it's not black or white. And we want to feel like we're 100% right, but it's okay if you don't feel 100% right about it. Your feelings can be in the gray area. And you can feel like, I did the right thing in the moment or the thing I thought was right in the moment. But also, you know, don't feel 100% proud of it. And, right. and that's fine. And, and right. that's natural. Yeah. Thanks, and uh, I'm I'm really happy to be working on this project with you. It means a lot. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Uh, same for me. Thanks for listening to What We Brought Home. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe or follow us wherever you find your podcasts. Like we said at the top of the show, if what you've heard here reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to tell your story, let us know. We're always looking to talk to fellow veterans. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. Thanks again for listening.